right, the kids can head out to Children's Church. So, so far in this uh, series, we've been talking about what it is that we add to our faith. God has provided for us the faith. He has provided it for us, uh, all of the things that we need. Uh, We have talked about uh, adding to our faith virtue, which is a desire to be righteous. We have talked about adding knowledge, which is knowing him and his righteousness. We have talked about self-control and steadfastness. We have talked about godliness uh, being God-lifeness, God living inside of us. And last week we talked about Philadelphia, which is brotherly love. And the reason we used Philadelphia is because that's the word there. It, uh, second to last and the last, are both words for love. So let's go back to 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this week, what we see in the final supplement, we see agape. Agape is a word for love. It means unconditional, and I'm going to use the concept of it being unbound. So what I want to do is I want to put up um, I want to put up on the screen the different words that there are. There are seven different words that have to do with love. We have these. We have storge, which is the first one. That's familial love. That is, you are uh, born into this world and you love your parents. You love your kids. You love your brothers. We take care of one another. It doesn't mean that we always get along, but we do love one another. Then we come to philia which is friend love. And you'll notice that these loves kind of grow. You kind of encounter them along the way. Uh, Philia is what we talked about last week, which is friend love, brotherly love. Um, Brotherly not meaning in the family, but in the friendship sense. So uh, Philia, brotherly love, we talked about that last week. Ludus. Ludus is the playful, young type uh, infatuation love. It's, it's, the, it's the little boy pulling the girl's pigtails. It's the butterflies that are in the stomach. It is the attraction, though we don't know necessarily what it is. We just get drawn to each other. Then there's eros, which is erotic love, which is uh, having a desire to possess and to be with someone. They have mania, which is a jealous love, which can be bad and it can be, it can be good. God, our God is, is a jealous God. Uh, he has a jealous love for us that drives him. Then the last one is pragma, which is a mature and a harmonious love. 
That is a love that comes after, uh, like, well, with decades of marriage, you just get to where you, you've changed fundamentally kind of who you are over time and have adapted to this other person where you are more in harmony than you were when you began the journey together. And it's a love, um, it's a love that is unspeakable almost. It, it's just, it's there. So then you get to agape. And the reason um, agape is unconditional, that's the way we normally have it. I'm going to use the word unbound. It means the exact same thing, but unbound, I think, uh, it captures it a little bit better because all of these other loves are, are tied by chains to something else. They don't exist if they are not connected to something else. So uh, agape, it's not bound to family like uh, storge is. It is not bound to friendship. Uh, as philia is. It's not bound to infatuation like ludus is. It is not bound to our desires like eros is. It is not bound to our needs like mania is. And it is not bound to age or time as pragma is. So truly, uh, we are having to look and we're having to understand in order to understand what agape love is, we, we kind of have to do, it, it, is, it is all the love that it isn't, if that makes any sense. So we define it by looking at the negatives. We understand the positives by looking at the negatives. We see what it isn't to try to understand what it is. So let me walk through it this way. With storge, this, this is how neat, agape is backwards from all the other loves. It, it's not like any of them. So in storge, your relationship determines who you love, okay? I loved my mom and my dad first and foremost in this world, and there's only one reason for that. I was born to them. If I had been born to someone else, I would have loved, I would love them and do the same. With agape love, your love determines your relationship. The relationship doesn't determine the love. The love determines the relationship. With philia, your commonality, the things that you have in common with others, determines who you love. So you gather around yourself people that are like you, people that are are, uh, of common interest. So if you go online, if you go onto social media, you see this, where people friend people who think like them and unfriend people who do not think like them. They don't want a relationship with people. We've gotten to the point where we don't want to talk with or be with people who do not think, act, or um, uh, otherwise have things in common with us. So we gather around ourselves people that um, uh, it is our commonalities that determine who we love with agape, your love is what you have in common. With Ludus, who you are attracted to is who you love. Okay? So you see someone who is physically attractive, and that's the person you're drawn to. That's the person you want to be around. Whereas agape is the opposite. Love is, the love is what attracts. It isn't features. It isn't physicality. Nothing. It is the love that attracts. It's backwards. With eros, your desires determine what you love. So the person that you want to be with, the person that you want to uh, unite with, is the person that you love. Uh, With agape, it's the opposite. Love determines our desires. Love determines our desires. With mania, it's what you are missing that determines what you love. With agape, your love fulfills all of your needs. With pragma, Time and compromise determine the strength of your love with agape. 
you're already there. Your love determines the, the passion that you show in the lives of other people. So we just see that agape, it's completely backwards. Whereas uh, all of these things in life draw us to love, it's the opposite. With agape, we love, which draws us to the things in this life. And we see that with God. So let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, of course, the passage that is in almost every wedding uh, that I've I've ever been to. It's referenced or there's quotes of it somewhere, the love chapter. We're going to look at the first seven verses. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all that I have, and if I deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist in its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. And I want you to look at those last four as he defines it, that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. And basically, I'm going to show you, we're going to look at each of these four things. Love is defined not only by the external circumstances that do not bind it. This agape is unbound in that way, but there are, there are other ways in which it is also unbound, which is important for us to understand. We're going to look at this. So let's begin with the first one so you understand what I'm talking about. First thing is agape is unbound by cost. That's why Paul says love bears all things. It is unbound by cost. Um, having, having children, right? Um, The man does not pay a very high price for having children necessarily. I watched my wife as she was pregnant, and um, I was fine, and she was sick. Um, My muscles were fine. Her back and ankles and all that stuff were swelling and and hurt. She uh, couldn't eat certain foods. I could eat whatever I wanted to. When she had the children in her womb, She had to carry, she had to bear the cost of that other person living inside of her body. And that cost was drastic. I'm trusting that. I don't know that from experience, but I've been told that. It is a high price and a cost that gets paid. It fundamentally changes a woman's experience for nine months. But in the midst of it, they carry that cost, and they bear it for this other person. They're willing to pay the cost. For most of us, when we have our kids, we're willing to pay any price, whatever it is. Agape is when that kind of love that is willing to pay any price 
extends past. It's no longer bound to family. It's no longer bound to friendship. It's not bound to the people that we are attracted to. It's not, it's not bound to anything. It is the love that we have for all men and all women in this world. It, super, it becomes unbound in that way. Look, John 15, 13, Jesus said this. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. The word their life, okay, it is not, um, uh, it, it, is, it, is, it is not spirit, it is not breath, it is not energy, it is not the life force that is in us, it is suke, which is soul. Jesus is not simply saying that you and I, we are faithful, that we, that we love when we are willing to physically die for someone. Because I want to be honest, that is actually, that can be an easy thing. We hear a phrase, or at least I've heard a phrase, that it is harder to live for something than to die for something. Dying for something only has to happen once. Living for something has to happen all the time, every moment of your life. When Jesus says that greater love has no man than this, but to lay down his soul for another. He is not simply talking about the physical existence. He's not just talking about giving up the spirit. He's not talking about just allowing your body to go back to dust. He is saying in your suke, in your soul, it is the sum of who you are. It is your identity. It is your value. It is your self-worth. It is your reputation. It is your pride. It is all of the aspects of who you are. Christ is saying that the one who wants to love, the greatest love is that which lays down our soul. That we are willing to give up anything for someone else. John 3, 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God loved us so much that the cost of allowing his Son to come to this earth and to suffer the penalty that he did on our behalf when he didn't deserve it, that's love. And again, it's not just that Jesus appeared and died. Because honestly, Jesus could have just appeared one day in the flesh. God could have orchestrated it where it terrified everybody and they just killed him. And so he died. Okay? That's not the point. Christ was willing to bear under our sin for 33 years. He took our penalty upon his back. He, when he was on the cross, allowed his pride and his reputation and his name to be soiled as they mocked him and insulted him. As he had the power and the authority to step off of that cross to call 10,000 angels to destroy them all. He was willing to lay down his pride. It's not just his life force. It was every aspect of who he was. He was God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Instead, he emptied himself. Agape love. It bears all things. Secondly, agape love is unbound. 
by practicality and rationality. Agape love, and I'm not saying it's irrational love. I'm just saying it's not bound. It can be rational. It can be irrational. It just isn't bound to it. It doesn't have to make sense in order for it to be agape love is what I'm trying to say. Goofiest thing you ever see. I did it. Men, we've all done it. Goofiest thing you can watch is the manliest of men bent over talking to an unborn baby in their wife's stomach. Okay, there are cells that are developing inside of that stomach. It does not understand English, but you are talking to it. It doesn't know who you are, but you are just showering it with love. It just doesn't. Think about that. You love something so much that you haven't even met or encountered. It doesn't even have a personality yet. How do you love something that you don't even know its personality? You don't know, you don't know its weaknesses. You don't know its strengths. You don't know what it has to get, but you just love it. That kind of love is what is supposed to be outside. As for the Christian, that we go outside. It goes outside of family. It goes outside of marriage. It goes outside. We love people regardless of who they are, regardless of what they do. We love them. And we're going to love them. We make a determination right now that we are going to love every person that is out there regardless of whether they deserve it or not in our eyes. It doesn't matter. We're going to love them. When I was a kid, I, all, I couldn't wait to be a dad. I love being a dad. I love my kids. I loved my kids before I had kids. I loved my kids before I knew my kids. I was so excited to get to them. I grew up wanting to get to them because I loved them. I knew they were there, and I couldn't wait to get to them. Same thing with my wife. I couldn't wait to be married. And it's because I couldn't wait to find that person that I was going to spend my life with. I was so excited about it. I loved I didn't even know who she was. It doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be rational. It doesn't have to make sense. Agape love doesn't make sense. Agape love, agape love embraces people when they despise us. That's agape love. It doesn't make any sense. You know, you sit there and you think about what, what do you have to do? What do you have to do with a, with a, with a bully? to hit a bully to stop a bully. I mean, that's what my dad was always, I was growing up, and my dad would always tell me, the way you stop a bully is you got you to stand up to him. That's the way the world works. God has a different way. In Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, this is how irrational this love is. Even as he chose us in him, so God the Father chose you and me in Christ before the foundations of the world. So before he's even made this world, he has already chosen you that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, in agape, he predestined us as uh, for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. In love. Before the foundations of the world. Now, I I, want to show you how irrational and impractical this is. God knew you, loved you, before he ever formed the earth. Loved you so much that he was willing to create a world he knew was going to fall. That was going to turn against him. 
that he was going to have to send his son to redeem so that he could have you. That doesn't make any sense. That's not rational. It isn't practical, but it's love. That's how great his love for us is. He believed all things. In the midst of your sin and error, he believes that you can be better. He believes that there is potential and possibility in all of us. No, belief, faith is irrational. It's irrational. So we are called to love in that free way that God does. Love believes that all things are possible. Do you believe? I'm I'm, I'm serious. Do you believe that anyone, anyone can be saved? Anyone. God God sent his son to save the world and not condemn the world. Every person. When God looks at every person in this world, he sees a soul that can be saved. All of them. No one is lost. Not yet. Do you believe that anyone can be changed? Do you believe that anybody, that all people have good in them? Do you believe that people deserve a second, a third, and a fourth chance? See, we want to draw lines, and there aren't lines. Not in in agape love, not in God's love. There are no lines. Well, sorry. There There is one and only one line. And it sits at the end of the judgment. There is one line, I will say that. But up until now, between now and then, there are no lines. There is nothing that is keeping anyone from coming to God. The apostles came to Jesus. And they look at Jesus and they say, All right, Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Seven times? And they're so proud of themselves. Because seven's this nice holy number. And and forgiving someone who continually keeps sinning against you seven times, that actually sounds pretty difficult. And they're really proud of themselves in bringing this up. And Jesus looks at them and goes, seven? Seventy times seven. That's how many times you forgive your brother. And they're blown away by this. How can this be? There's got to be a line, right? There's got to be a point at which I don't have to love this person anymore. They keep taking advantage of me. They keep insulting me. They keep hurting me, right? I shouldn't have to love them anymore. And he says, nope, nope. You think seven is 70 times seven. Take whatever it is in your head that you think is the line, that, 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 that someone sins against you X amount. He goes, just multiply that by 70, and you're getting out there to where God is. Agape love believes, believes all things, maybe the 143rd time I forgive my brother, this is the one that will change him. Maybe this time is the time. But we as humans, we don't want to do that. We want to go 142 times. You've hosed me. I mean, I'm, I'm, you've taken advantage of me. I'm not going to do it anymore. That's not love. Love believes. You know what? There's good in this person. They can change. This might be the time. This might be it. That's the attitude that agape love has. And I'm going to tell you, you and I, we should be grateful for that. 
because we are the recipients of that love. Did you only sin against God seven times in your life? No. I didn't. I'm not going to talk for you. I'm going to talk for me. I haven't. I'm I'm beyond 70 times 7. We're 70 times 70 and, and to the 70th power. I mean, just start, you rack on whatever numbers you want to add on there. That's where we are. And my God loves me. He believes in me. He empowers me. He wants me to succeed. And you know what? Because he believes in me, I want to do those things. So he says this love, it believes all things are possible. Yeah, will we be taken advantage of? Sure. But there isn't one of us that hasn't taken advantage of the grace and the goodness of God at some point, even in our Christian walks. So we're just going to be like Jesus. And if that means we get taken advantage of, we will. That's agape love. Unbound. Not rational. Someone hits me in the face. Thank you. God bless you. That makes no sense. You're right. It don't make any sense. But how do I teach them to hit me was wrong if I punch them back? I don't know. How does, that, how does that teach them? What does that teach them? That teaches them, hey, that hurt. Okay, that makes sense when they're a little kid. Hey, you bit. You need to know what you did. They don't understand it. But other than that, it just doesn't make any sense. This love is impractical. Third thing, agape is unbound by sin. It's unbound by sin. It's not tethered to it. It's not connected to it. It's not tied to it. Not at all. Second Corinthians 5, 19 tells us that God, when he considered the world, did not, did not count anyone's sin against them. When he looked at you, He ignored all of your sin, all of your dirt, all of that stuff. He looked and he said, I love him. He ignored the sin, got rid of the sin, and drew and built a relationship with us. Paul then says, so now we are ambassadors on God's behalf. We are Christ's ambassadors on God's behalf, pleading with you to be reconciled to God. He is saying we go and we carry out that same kind of love. And it does not matter whether someone is sinning against us. It does not matter. We do what is in the best interest of other people regardless, because it is who we are. So in Romans 12, 14 to 21, Paul says this, bless those. And and this only makes sense if you understand agape love. This passage only makes sense if you embrace agape. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. No, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not overcome, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I was a kid who was bullied growing up. I was scrawny, had no muscles. 
I had no, yeah, but Kay, you got, you got my frame, bud. Nothing. That's nothing. Don't show people the nothing. I had nothing. So I got picked on, and I, I, I love this verse. I love this verse. You know why I love this verse? It says don't be haughty. I ignored that part and was haughty. I thought, well, I'm just going to be nice to people that are mean to me because that makes me a better person. And I was completely ignoring the don't be haughty part. But I especially like the, if you're nice to them when they're mean to you, it's like throwing burning coals on their head. And I loved that as a kid. That was like my justice. I'd sit there, get made fun of, like, okay, have a good day with the fire on your head. Have pictures in my mind of them going, like Indiana Jones, faces melting. In the name of Jesus. It's not what that means. I was a grown man when I learned what that was. No one told me. So in that day in the cold nights, the only way you survived was if there was a fire in your house. Families would fall asleep. Their fire would burn out. The light would go out in their house. The coals would cool to chilling, and it wouldn't be, they couldn't get another fire started. So it was a pretty common practice. In that day, whenever you went to get anything, because uh, you were carrying things that were heavy, you carried them on your head. So you would see, even today, right in the same area, you've got the women that wear the, the pots, and, and they'll go down to the water. They'll fill it up with water, and they carry it because in their arms, they can't carry that pot of water. But if they, put it, if they get it put up on their head, they can they use their body to hold it up. So what they would do is they would go out with a, a bowl, and they would go and find one of their neighbors whose fire was still burning. And those neighbors if they were kind, would scoop in and grab the hottest coals from the middle of their fire, and then they would put them in the bowl that was on the head of the other person so that that person could go home and relight the fire in their home so that their home didn't have to be cold and in darkness. That's a completely different way of understanding this. What Paul is saying there is, you know what? When other people sin against you, your kindness, they're in darkness. There's no light. They don't see it. So repaying, repaying evil with evil doesn't help them see the light because you're not giving them the light. So when you, though insulted, bless people, you're putting coals on their head. You're giving them an opportunity to reignite the fire in themselves. You are providing a way that they can return the light into them. And you start thinking about that. Man, that is so selfless. That is, that's awesome. That's what we should be, right? Where people in pain, they, they may lash out at us, but why, why, would I, why would I return darkness to their darkness? Why don't I, why don't I show them something better? And, they, and if, if they ignore it, that's on them. But I, this is who I am. I am kind, and I am good because of him in me, and I want to show that to them, not for my praise, but so that they can have the same. 
That's the way agape is. It is unbound by sin. Someone strikes you on the cheek, you turn it in the other one. Makes no sense. But it's what works. It's what God does. And in in essence, that's the hope. Hope is when we lay aside something that's valuable to us right now and we store it up for later. So Christ tells us do not store up for ourselves treasures here on earth, but instead store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. That's the idea. We're not going to allow the sin of others to change us. Last thing, let's do this. Last one is this. Agape love is unbound by change. If this world around us becomes a better place, should that make me a better person? Should that make me a more loving person? If the world around me becomes a worse place, should I become a less loving person? If someone treats me with kindness, how should that affect my love? If someone treats me with contempt, How should that affect my love? The reality of it is the world is constantly changing. The situations we are in are constantly changing. Nothing of our circumstances is ever the same. The only thing that should remain the same is who we are, the love that we choose to have. So if this world, the whole world turns to Jesus, I should be no better off as a follower of Jesus than if the entire world turns against him. I should be no more loving in one world than in the other one. Because love is who I am. It is not connected. It is not bound by what happens around me. If I gain riches or I lose it all, my love should remain unchanged. We see that with the example that Christ gives us. Paul says it this way, Romans 8, 35 to 39. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing. I want to extend this out because God so loved the world that he gave his son. God's love is not confined to the faithful. The love that he is showing and demonstrating is to the entire world. And there is nothing that anyone in this world can do to separate themselves from the love of God. They may not be saved. They may find themselves standing on the wrong side of judgment. But they were never separated from the love of God. My righteousness nor my sin makes me more loved by God or not. God loves you as much as he loves someone who doesn't even follow. He just does. 
I can't remember who did it, and I, I really, I'm really sorry. I can't remember if Jenny did or when my kids heard this. Somewhere I heard this this week, and it just was just right on. It was that that we cannot be any, uh, uh, we cannot be loved or any less loved, any more loved or less loved by God. The only thing that changes is our level of intimacy with Him, our our level of knowing Him. But there's nothing I can do to make him love me more. He loves me as much as he is possible as is possible. The circumstances that we are in, it doesn't, it doesn't change. Love, agape love, endures all things. And that's what enduring means, right? Facing whatever is thrown at you. Whatever change comes, whatever the circumstance is, we remain the same. And so this agape love is a love that is unbound. It's unbound by change. In 1 Corinthians 13, which we read from, the portion that we didn't read says that in these three remain faith, hope, and love. Love is the last one. And it says, and the greatest of these is love. At the end here, when he is saying the things that we add to the faith, all the things that God has done for us, the things that we add to it, they all build to one thing, and they all build to agape. I'm going to say something that I wasn't planning on saying when when I came in here this morning. The goal of your faith is agape. You exist on this earth right now to reach for agape. If you bring no one to a saving understanding of who Jesus is, it doesn't matter if 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 your goal has been agape, if you have lived in agape. That's the goal. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're we're building buildings and ministries and all of the things that we do. None of it matters, going back to the Corinthians. None of it matters. We're just loud, banging gongs if we do not have agape. All of it is meaningless. All of it is useless. It is the goal. Nothing else matters except it. And here's why. 1 John 4, 7-8. Beloved, Let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is agape. Agape is the point, it's the goal, it's what we're reaching for because that is who God is. There is no drawing near to him without growing in it. It's impossible. It's the goal. He is the goal. His love is unbound. So we're going to extend this invitation, we're going to sing a song, we'll have the, the band come up, and I want to I want to extend this. Listen, if you feel God's pull on your heart, know He is offering an unconditional love, and what we offer here is unconditional love. 
Honestly, your past doesn't matter. Your future doesn't matter. Your potential doesn't matter. Your bank account doesn't matter. None of that matters. Because the love that he offers, the love that he gave me, and the love that we offer here is unconditional. Let's stand. We're going to sing our song of invitation. If we can help you in any way, if we can pray for you, please let us do so.